Welcome to Health System CIO's podcast interview with Aaron Martin and Sara Vaezi of Providence Digital Innovation Group. Martin and Vaezi discuss their findings from the 2022 Digital Predictions Report, including the critical role digital technology can play in easing the burden on clinicians and the infrastructure shift towards strategic platforms that they believe has already started. They also discuss the most effective use cases for AI, what outside vendors often get wrong about healthcare, and where humans often fail. Thanks to both of you for the time. As soon as I saw this, I was really intrigued by it because I haven't seen anything like this. So yeah, just wanted to talk about some of the predictions you have, but can you give just a a quick overview of how this came about, how you decided to start doing this? We do this something like this about every year. So, and then we also publish a lot of thought pieces mm-hmm. and what we're seeing in the market. And especially during COVID, we published a ton of content around where things are heading and, and that kind of thing. And the reason why we do this is on the health system side of healthcare, it's, we're regionally competitive. So that means that we can kind of share a lot of information because the 200 or so large health systems, the vast majority we don't compete with, right? Yeah. And so it's a way of putting our thoughts out there, getting the industry to react to it, gathering kind of situational awareness and that kind of thing. So this is just much more of a forward-looking version of that. Um, and it's a combination of, Sarah and I always talk about it, these predictions mm-hmm. are always combinations of stuff you're actually predicting and stuff you're actually working on, right? So yeah. it's a little bit of both. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. So as far as how you gather the information, obviously it's a lot of what's happening at Providence, but can you talk a little bit about the process? Yeah, it's a ton of conversations with Mm -hmm. our internal constituencies and then a ton of uh, conversations with industry experts and other health systems. I mean, we talk to two to three health systems a week now, Mm -hmm. just trading notes and understanding what's going on. Sorry, what would you add? SARS team is the team that does this. Yeah, we kind of do this on a continuous basis, and then we do a big refresh, or if there was something like COVID that was so industry-altering, we do a big event where we, Mm -hmm. to Erin's point, we interviewed, back in 2020, we interviewed over 150 people, both internal and external, and then there was so much being written over the last couple of years about this, so this isn't necessarily like novel stuff, but we try to pull together like our unique perspective from the vantage point that we have as a health system, as an innovator, as an investor on Aaron's team, you know, he has, Mm -hmm. he has an investment group. So putting that unique vantage point against everything we were hearing and the analysis that we're doing. The other thing I'll say to add a little bit to what Aaron said, you know, I think there was a lot of action happening over Mm -hmm. the last couple of years. I mean, digital health funding has reached completely sky high records. And I think one of the reasons why we do this is that to your point, health systems are so, they may not necessarily be coming up with this stuff, partly Mm -hmm. because we're so consumed with COVID, we're consumed with our own workforce challenges, but we think it's really important for health systems to be able to influence this and to be forward looking a little bit as well. Yeah it's really important that we do that so that we're not just operating under the same framework that we have historically, but that we are operating, you know, as part of what Aaron and I try to do is to bring those issues forward from a health system lens so that our colleagues can have that same perspective that's not just internally facing, but also externally facing. So kind of along those lines, 
how did these predictions play into or factor into the strategy at Providence? Yeah, I think I think what you're you're seeing is our our approach is pretty simple to say, hard to do. So <laughs> right. what we do is we focus on things that matter most to our health system. And then there's some kind of follow-on effects that are pretty positive from that when we when we succeed. First thing is is for instance, like front and center is the workforce crisis, right? That is, you know, by far the biggest challenge that we're seeing right now as a health yeah, system. Right. And what we do is we focus on how can SARS team really kind of digs into understanding the problem. Mm-hmm. And then what we do is is we hypothesize kind of solutions to that digital solutions to the problem, and then we go through a, a very kind of diligent process around that. And it has some follow-on effects. One is that focus and that analysis that SARS team does really helps the organization really kind of buckle down and say, all right, this is what's important. We're not going to go look after kind of bright, shiny objects. Yeah. And then if we find a solution in the marketplace, for instance, that's investable with Providence Ventures, by definition, it's a large market opportunity because, again, we're not the only ones having these problems. And so if you find a solution to that, man, that is a, that's a big <laughs> potential business. Yeah. So that helps, you know, Providence Ventures attract kind of syndicate partners for their investments, et cetera. So, sorry, yeah. do you want to talk a little bit about the, the process your team goes through? Yeah, absolutely. Through the interviews and the analysis that we do, we come up with some common themes that we see, and we start with big buckets, like the workforce challenge or mm-hmm. behavioral health or, yeah. you know, things that are looming large but not necessarily well-defined or yeah. they have so many different component parts. And then we disaggregate those component parts. It's a pretty, like Aaron said, it's pretty easy to say, but mm. less easy to to yeah. it, but it's a well-worn kind of methodology and then so we disaggregate it into specific problem statements that are more they're more specific they're more quantifiable we put you know some sort of value against it like mm-hmm. how many patients are impacted or how many people worldwide are impacted or what's the economic impact of something like this of addressing this area so so we try to be more specific and and then we take those opportunities, we tier them according to a set of criteria and a framework. Mm-hmm. And then basically, um, once we've prioritized everything, we kind of go through it again with our internal constituents to determine how what we're doing there influences what we've seen influences what we're actually going to work on. So, mm-hmm. you know, actually, this is it's an interesting thing, because a lot of the stuff like that was listed in that predictions piece isn't necessarily it's actually not new to us necessarily as a system, yeah. but a few years ago, a lot of it more existed in separate, fragmented kind of projects or right. products that we were building, and now it's coming together more in terms of, and Aaron um, can tell you more about this, but in terms of our overall digital platform that we've built, and so it's not always de novo creation of some new idea. It's yeah. sometimes like how the pieces fit together, which is a lot of what we've seen over the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. And one of the um, one of the things I had seen in the predictions was going from this point where a lot of health systems were with we have telehealth, that's great, but going beyond that and really getting into digital engagement and and the one of the big challenges which has been engaging patients between the care episodes. It's not just like big vague ideas, but really going more into that and looking into some yeah. of these concepts. 
Yeah, if I had to pick short, medium, and long term, the biggest issues that health systems need to kind of deal with are short term is the workforce crisis. Mm -hmm. The reason is if if you don't get past this, you don't really, there is no medium term. Yeah. You know, it's just turned the the P&L upside down for all these health systems. Their labor rates are rising faster than their revenue rates, and that's just not sustainable, right? Mm -hmm. So tackling that. You know, the second medium-term thing is the payer-provider integration issue. And that's kind of the digital component of a larger problem of, like, getting under risk for health systems. You saw during COVID just the devastation that happened in the fee-for-service side of the business. But if you had a health system that also owned a payer like we do in Oregon or, like, I'm also on the board of Presbyterian in New Mexico – they survived it pretty well because they had a you know stable set of cash flows from kind of taking care of a population instead of being paid to do piecework, right? Yeah. So that's the second issue. And then that second issue also has to deal with, in our markets, the biggest disruptive force in the medium term is Optum United and some of the national pay providers, right? Yeah. And what they're doing is building really coherent networks that – I assume that they're putting a lot of energy and effort into making, you know, the customer experience more coherent Mm -hmm. so that you don't have to care whether or not that's the payer side of United or the the provider side of United. Like it just kind of functions as one kind of seamless experience, right? So if we don't do that with our payer partners, like with the Blues, as well as with our own health plan, we're in a boatload of trouble in the medium term. And then the long term, it's the engagement piece, right? And by long term, I mean like five years. I don't mean like 20. Yeah. You know? And that is akin to if you get your digital platform up and running, you're really effective at attracting new patients and transacting with them online. You give them a great digital first experience, but you don't have a plan to kind of engage in between episodes of care. Mm-hmm. You're opening yourself up to being investing a lot of money to becoming a very, very sophisticated price taker in the market, right? Mm. Because somebody else is going to create that relationship, that engaged relationship, and then they're going to be dictating terms to those that don't, right? And so the analogy I always use is it's kind of like one of the reasons why Amazon grew to be what it is today is Prime. It's not necessarily its e-commerce capabilities, which are super impressive, mm-hmm. like the frictionless experience and being able to ship stuff to your home. It's the engagement platform that they built. Yeah. That, you know, that is probably the biggest and most successful engagement platform in the world. So if health systems don't build something similar, they're going to be price takers. Yeah, it's really interesting. One of the other parts that kind of stuck out to me was you're talking about the platforming of consumer healthcare, and can you talk a little bit more about what this means and kind of what that's going to entail? Yeah, it's interesting. I think I agree with everybody who believes that platforming of healthcare will occur. I probably disagree with the how. So there's a bunch of folks that think they can kind of come into the industry, throw several hundred million dollars into it. And convince, you know, health systems to rip out their existing infrastructure and replatform what they've got. And and what they're missing is it's not just the cost of the technology, which, you know, could be replaced at the right terms. It's the cost of implementing it, right, and re-implementing it and the pain and the change management. So, for instance, we're just now getting through going on to, to a single EMR with Epic, right? Mm-hmm. 
that's been a five-year journey mm. that I don't think anybody wants to repeat. Right. <laughs> um, you know, but I do think how platforming does occur is these technology companies earn the right to uh, become a platform by step one, building a really, really sharp, focused value proposition of how they're going to pay back your investment in them in 18 months. Mm-hmm. It can be, seem like a small story, but then they move into a bigger kind of platform story. So if you look at one of our earlier investor investments, uh, a company called Kairos, they're a small story. When we first met them, we were kind of customer number three, seven years ago. Um, now they have over 200 health systems on their platform and pretty much all of them. And they've got, you know, something like 60% of all physicians are on their platform mm-hmm. that are employed by, you know, providers or something like that. So they, they've pretty much executed on their vision. But when they first kind of started talking to us, the story was really small. It was like, you have a call center. It wasn't even about being online because this is seven years ago. It was like, you have a call center in which you're getting inaccurate information about your physicians. Yeah that's not its source of truth, we can fix that. Mm. Like, that is very small. Yeah. But executed on that, and then we moved that to now take that same data and build a platform for our web directory. Now do new patient acquisition through booking. Then they bought a company called HealthSpark to where they can kind of take that source of truth data and provide it to our partners, our, our plan partners, et cetera, et cetera. But that was always the plan. And if you just tell somebody the small story like me, I'm not interested because I don't want to have a point solution forever. I'm mm-hmm. interested, you know, where is this going? Yeah. But if all you talk about is the big story, how am I going to rationalize the investment I'm going to make as a health system? I mean, we're not rolling in money as a health system. Yeah. Yeah. You have to find that balance. So I'm sure that that's, that's a challenge for a lot yeah, of organizations. Yeah. Replace, I would be shocked if that becomes a thing, at least on the provider side. It's too expensive. Yeah. One of the, uh, the topics that we did our own um, survey of some of our, the CIOs and chief digital officers we speak with, and there was a lot of uh, talk about going forward with AI and doing more with AI um, this year. And that seems to be like such a really big piece of this is, you know, you talked about the AI-powered navigation, but really getting to that point and, you know, making sure that you're able to get to the next level with all the uh, digital technologies. Yeah, AI for us is going to be incredibly important. We're seeing just a ton of different use cases for it. One is navigation. The second is physician burnout reduction. So mm-hmm. there's two sides of that. One is how do we get with the Cures Act, there's a ton of information that was made available to patients, right, which generated a ton of questions from patients, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Which has generated a ton of messages to physicians. So how can you get a lot of these messages kind of automatically answered by a bot, right, yeah. in an effective way? So that's that's one kind of use case. Another use case is, which we talked about in the, in the piece, which was around navigation. One of the things that Rod always talks about is today health systems ask patients to kind of assemble the tinker toys of their care right. by themselves, right? So like, all right, you need to go get a COVID test. You need to go do this. You need to go do that. It's all like the information is not really well kind of presented. And it's not in a conversational manner, and it's not in a kind of what's the next step kind of thing, right? Well, you can imagine a bot doing that for you Mm. and kind of assembling the, all right, here's the 17 things you've got to do, and then here's the right next best action from a navigation standpoint. 
And then having a persistence that you're not constantly telling the bot who you are and more information about you, like it persists, right? Yeah. And then the third area, which I'm super excited about, but it's much more longer term and we're starting to kind of experiment with it, is differential diagnosis, which we do on the platform today. So if you put in a set of you know chief complaints or whatnot, it'll differentially diagnose you and say you have one of these three things, right? Mm. And then it'll recommend through navigation, so this is a navigation part of like, okay, you should go to, based on this, it's most likely you should go talk to us in telehealth because these kind of conditions can most likely be treated in telehealth. Or you should definitely go talk to your primary care physician, go to the ED or whatnot, right? Yeah. You can imagine a world in which that becomes an assist to the clinician and then eventually for kind of low acuity, algorithmically treated conditions, it becomes uh, not just diagnostic, but it also goes into treatment, right? Mm -hmm. Now that's far down the, the line, but you kind of see other areas where I think it's EKGs are kind of effectively read by the computer these days. So cardiologists will just read the findings and that's a form of, I guess, AI where it's, it's actually doing the diagnosis, the cardiologist will kind of look it over and confirm it in some cases, but it already exists in the market today. Yeah, yeah like fully autonomous AI is one thing, but I think assistive or augmentative AI is definitely currently out there and can be used in a number of different ways, as Aaron articulated, to support and reduce clinician burnout on certain things and aid self-service and, and so on. So definitely, it's not stuff that's not out there. It definitely exists. Yeah. And, and it's nice to see really talking about AI in this way to, to help reduce burnout by, like you said, you know, there are certain questions that a bot can help with, and it kind of puts or should put to rest some of the uh, conceptions a while back about bots can't replace physicians, but <laughs> nobody's talking about that. It's These are real helpful use cases that I think can enlighten the patient population a bit about AI and what it can do, and bots and what they can do. Yeah, I, I think if we don't have bots eventually, again, in kind of a 10-year time span, or AI doing some diagnose and treat, which is some of the functions of what physicians do and nurse practitioners do today, mm -hmm. low acuity, low risk, high prevalence conditions, we're in serious trouble because mm -hmm. like the math doesn't work, right? Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. you're just not going to have enough clinicians to serve the number of patients. And, and you'd also have, nobody likes boring, repetitive mm -hmm. tasks. And I'm pretty sure if you asked a nurse practitioner or a physician, do you like using your judgment or do you like seeing the 11 millionth same, same thing that you see all the time? Right. That you know exactly what it is. The patient probably knows what it is and it could be diagnosed and treated algorithmically versus using your judgment to kind of manage the overall care of a patient. That's what they got to school for. Right. They didn't right. Get to school for the boring, repetitive stuff. Yeah. And by the way, boring repetitive is where humans fail the most because once you get into a boring repetitive set of tasks, the error rates go up over time because oh, yeah. humans are not good at boring repetitive things. Right. They're not good at being consistent around something. I know I'm not. It's kind of like the autopilot comes on and you don't have uh, the attention to detail sometimes. It's also interesting. My son is 17. And when you ask me, can you imagine a world in which you'd ever feel comfortable with a pilot not in the cockpit. Hmm. You ask me, I'm like, 
God no. I mean, that's insane, <laughs> right. right? You ask my son, yeah. and he'll he'll actually say, I don't know. I'm kind of worried that he or she would override the machine, mm-hmm. right? Which might be better at landing the plane. That's true. So, true. you know, like it might be a panic and just grab the wheel. Yeah. And Gene is like, you know, handling it just fine. And, you know, and most landings today happen through mm. automation. You know, oh, yeah. And, yeah, that's really interesting. We're going to see some big changes down the road. <laughs> the generation is going to, my son's generation is going to be a lot less trusting of humans and a lot more trusting of machines, I, I think. Okay. This has been so great. Um, I'd like to touch base again maybe at the end of the year just to see how things have have panned out but i really appreciate both of your time thank you for listening to this podcast from healthsystemcio.com to hear other podcasts visit our website or subscribe to our account in itunes at healthsystemcio.com backslash podcast